the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. He's controversial. 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now. He's outspoken. You will tell your kids and your grandkids and your great-great-grandkids. And he tells it like it is. That you watched a great athlete named the franchise. And he was the greatest world heavyweight champion of all time. He is the franchise Shane Douglas. And you are listening to the Triple Threat Podcast. Prepare to get your ass franchised. Triple Threat Podcast being brought to you today, empowered on the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner from the two-man power trip, the one and only JP John Paz. And coming back from a week off, rested, I'm sure he's probably relaxed, and I'm sure he's ready to roll. He is the one and only franchise Shane Douglas. Shane, welcome back in here. To the Triple Threat Podcast. Episode nine. Hey, first of all, welcome back to everybody. It was a big, long vacation week off. And you're right, I'm sitting here with my feet up. I got my hands behind my head. I've got a nice little drink here to my left. And uh, looking for a pretty fun weekend ahead. Uh, as the Queen of Extreme and the franchise reunite in the ring for the first time and uh, shall we say, many moons. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I mean, when I put together the run sheet for this week, I, not that I overlooked it, because I knew you had that coming up. I just didn't realize it was this weekend. So we're going to get into it here before we have uh, the couple topics to go over. Uh, we'll go over a little poll that we released, uh, tying into Francine's uh, epic return after 10 years to ringside uh, valeting, if you will, uh, right by your side, right where right where she belongs in Ohio, as well as uh, in Wisconsin this weekend. But uh We'll get going into that in a minute, but Shane, you know, like I said, week off, we're all ready to go. How was uh, how's the week been for the franchise? Uh, as always, I'm telling you, I think people think I'm joking when I say this, but for me, going on the road and wrestling and working is relaxing because I I don't have to worry about the nine thousand other things each day I try to get done. Uh, for me, it's when I'm on the road, it's straight ahead you know building venue ring opponent hotel <laughs> whatever highway whatever very simple and very easy to break down even for somebody's been hit with chairs for 30 years uh but you know it's honestly when i'm home here i 
I feel like I'm on a hamster wheel uh, in the movie Groundhog Day over and over and over and over again. It's, uh, so I'm looking for, I, I, you know, when the fans see me interacting with them, that's not a put on. That's I'm genuinely thrilled to be there because it means I get a, like a couple days off from the hamster wheel I just mentioned. Hey, Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. So you're a Pennsylvania guy. So I guess that's uh, <laughs> that's the right kind of uh, day for you to have a Groundhog Day. It's all uh, it's all relative. I can pretty much throw a stone from my house to to where uh, Punxsutawney Phil. Not literally, but pretty close. Uh, yeah, I've, I've been there. I've seen the. Uh, I don't, <laughs> for the life of me, I don't understand the pageantry around it. <laughs> yeah. You take a rodent out of a hole, and, and uh, he doesn't look like he's very happy to be there. You know, it seems, <laughs> I, I, you know here, here's what I'm waiting for, though. I'm just waiting for the animal rights activists to shut that damn thing down, for the cruelty to that poor rat in a hole. Uh, they, they, I mean, how inhumane. How, what is this world coming to other than the last 197 years or whatever they've done it and people have loved it? It's... Uh, uh, but hey, that's politics. We'll stay away from that topic. You know, I think it was in New York. I want to say it was on Staten Island that de Blasio, the mayor of uh, New York City, or it was, it was, I, I don't want to get the location wrong but I, or the politician, but it was somebody in New York that did the Groundhog Day festivities and I guess mishandled the groundhog. <laughs> <laughs> and, please, please tell me it bit his ass off. <laughs> No, I think that the groundhog met a a, a much worse demise. But no, I, yeah, yeah, and that's why I'm shocked that they haven't shut those things down across uh, the U.S. But I guess Punxsutawney, hey, it's got a great movie. So I mean, you know, you can't uh, you can't deny that. I don't think it's going anywhere. Comrade Blasio, by the way, have you seen <laughs> some of the craziness out of there this week? Uh, glass buildings verboten. Uh, uh, Plastic bags uh, outlawed, now paper bags, but they've now put a surcharge on paper bags, and they're phasing them out in some areas. And then just tonight, he's put an end to processed meats in the front. <laughs> no hot dogs, no spam, no bacon. Oh, my God. What in, honestly, I'm telling you, every time I pick up the newspaper or I turn on the computer and look at this garbage, I... I'm beginning to believe more and more every day that when they fired that damn CERN up, that goddamn time machine over there in France, that, that they slipped us through to some other dimension or something. Because uh, did you ever think the world would be this goddamn insane? <laughs> no. Hot, hot, dogs are, <laughs> hot dogs are dangerous. A bartender that's a socialist slash communist uh, gets elected to the House of Representatives. It's just... It's insane. It really is insane. Yeah, and we'll we'll curb it there because we don't want uh, <laughs> we don't want anybody to be spitting out their Cheerios and having any kind of uh, any any kind of uh, you know uh, angst listening or, or finding their uh, their safe space. We could probably we could install a cry closet somewhere for them to <laughs> sort of dodge into if they, if the franchise says something that makes them feel really really bad. They can go to the cry closet and sob the little snowflake hearts out. And otherwise, let's get on with episode nine. <laughs> hey, I, before we do, I want to point this out. So when we were off on this vacation week and we were having a little uh, R&R, I was down in Orlando with the family doing the Disney World gimmick and having a great old time. You were off doing the franchise uh, business and wrestling throughout the country and doing your thing. 
But in a little small town in West Virginia, there was a little action that has gone completely overlooked here as our very own JP, I believe, got his hands soiled uh, in the in the squared circle. So, JP, how did you spend your week off? Oh, it was, it was very fun, very good. I am now making my way into the world of the managerial world of wrestling. I'm now scouting talent, being working as an agent for uh, for some young up-and-coming talent down in the oh. PCW region and we might have our eye on an old franchise to bring in as well, but uh, it's a pretty good time in PCW with Jackson Stone. Even though he lost with the, the process, you got to trust the process. He's still a great future star, but uh, that's going to be a fun little thing. Cause keep on uh, managing there in PCW. Well, and I think it bears telling now, like who's the, who gave you your start at ringside brother? That is true. If people forget, I did get my start with the franchise, and we helped beat Luke Hawks in That's the right. ECW arena in Philly last June. That's correct. So, hey, little piece of advice. Make sure you and, and convey this to all of your young talent coming up. It's words of wisdom that were given to me many moons ago as I was breaking into the business. Win if you can, lose if you must, but always goddamn cheat. <laughs> and, and that'll be great it'll all be it'll all be perfect it'll, their, their dream will just unfurl in front of them and they will be good and become a top draw a multi-millionaire and who knows they run into a billionaire that owns a football team and get something started <laughs> <laughs> a guy uh, yeah a guy who's not concerned that his quarter hours and hourly rating breakdowns <laughs> drop by the hundreds of thousands uh, on a weekly basis but you know we won't, we won't worry about that this week. Hey, maybe one day John will be coming out of retirement after 10 years like Francine is this uh, this coming weekend. You'll be wrestling for AIW Wrestling this Friday night. You're taking on MJF, who's a, uh, a he's pretty big up-and-coming talent himself. Uh, but yeah, this is good wrestler. Yeah, this is a big deal. And I don't know if it's just, the, you know, the, there's so many wrestling shows right now, so maybe people haven't seen that this is happening. You know, maybe the dirt sheets haven't had a chance to pick it up yet. But I think once you guys step through the uh, the, the ropes there and uh, people see Francine next to the franchise, I think it's going to resonate that this moment is something that doesn't come around once again. Now, you guys may go on a, a – you could go on a world tour – but this is the first. You know what I mean? This is the first time you guys are back next to each other in in a very long time. In those ropes, you're, do, you're doing meet and greets, you're doing conventions, but this is a lot different. What does it mean to you to have this happening this weekend and to be reunited with Francine and having her come out of retirement to be beside you once again? Well, it's exciting. It really is exhilarating because, you know, it's, I've been off doing this now for some time, uh, solo and, and, and having a damn good time with it. Uh, but I, the, the last time, and I'm, I just, I'm going to make defer to Franny on this to make sure, but I believe the last time we performed together was 2005 hardcore, uh, hardcore homecoming. And so what, 14 years ago, right. uh, exactly. Almost, almost, it was April 5th, I believe, but I'm probably wrong on that. Uh, so 14 years ago, and that was the first time in, I think, like seven or eight years. So uh, to be doing it this weekend, you know, she and I have been texting back and forth. Uh, I'll be departing Pittsburgh uh, early uh, tomorrow and picking her up at the airport up there. And we're going to go spend the afternoon together and getting ready for for tomorrow night. Uh, 
you know, it, the, the guy was, I was talking to Dominic, guy, he was down yesterday for dinner and was explaining to him, you know, like, uh, first of all, the learning curve for her was pretty steep, you know, when she first was put with me because, you know, I can't imagine being, you know, as young and green in the business as she was and suddenly being placed in the main event match uh, with the world champion. Uh, I would have probably vomited if you had put me in that position at the same stage of my career as hers. Uh, but the thing that I can honestly say about uh, Franny, uh, long before she earned the Queen of Extreme name, uh, you, you know, uh, she was a diligent learner, and she may not have at, at the time understood why she was interjecting at this point or that point, but she never missed a cue. She, she her timing was impeccable, um, and I knew that I could rely on her. You know, we had a lot of nonverbal cues and a couple of verbal cues, but we got so con- well connected, like on the same page, that she she could see like when I was starting to get winded and might need a break, and she would instantly pop pop in and take the spotlight for a second to give me two or three seconds to catch my breath, that that kind of thing, uh, and to have that as a performer was invaluable. You know, especially in the position that I was in in ECW, having to you know, carry the belt and, you know, like, you know, Paul used to say, make them before you take them. You couldn't just go out and, you know, job one of your opponents out. Uh, A, we didn't have that kind of company, thank God. But also, you know, you had to show that everybody was on equal footing, that that belt could literally change hands at any moment to anybody in that company. So you couldn't just go out and have a squash match. It had to be a main event caliber match, night after night after night. And thankfully, we had the dressing room an unlimited supply pretty much of, of, of that kind of talent in the dressing room, but to do it night after night after night and do it originally night after night after night takes an awful lot of creativity and takes an awful lot of input. And to have Franny at ringside gave me just, an, just that much more of a tool. And I don't mean to say she's a tool, but it was such a useful tool for me uh, to be able to rely on her and her timing and her, understanding of what was going on in the ring at that time uh you know so again i don't think at the time she really even understood why she was interjecting at the time she was uh other than that was the at that moment she knew it was her cue there i i don't think i can ever recall a time like in something critical that franny missed the cue and you know when you don't have to worry about that part of it you know the person you're performing with you know, you're worried about your own stuff and now having to worry about somebody else's, that puts a ton of extra unnecessary pressure into the situation. And, you know, Franny was always an uber professional. And, and just we were starting this talk at the outset of the uh, episode. She was the first, correct me if I'm wrong, she was the first uh, guest we had on the, on the uh, podcast, correct? Oh man, I th- uh, was she the first guest? I don't know. If she- wow, man, I can't remember. Uh, do we have? I think she preceded Mikey. She was. Uh, she was definitely before Mikey. We had on PJ before. Maybe no, 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 no. Do we have on PJ before her? I think we did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it was PJ okay. was the first PJ one. Was first. Okay. Also, she was. She was in second place anyway, so she finished in top three. Maybe, <laughs> maybe yeah, she's uh, definitely three because we also had on Dominic after Bruno passed. So that oh, that's right. I that's think she right. was the I, she may have been the third, but we were yeah, right. But CW too. Oh yeah, I mean look at us. See, we're we're clueless. Oh, I can't forget. <laughs> but 
But she also, <laughs> and again, correct me if I'm wrong because I wasn't around, she guest hosted yes. one of certain franchises in Australia. She absolutely did, and it was uh, it was riveting stuff because if you haven't had a chance to listen to it, you know, fans and listeners that are listening, go back and do it because she really opened up with us and, and really – you know, it took up a lot of the time that we had planned out because uh, she had gone through a lot, of, you know, having to do with some body shaming stuff that had stemmed yep. from when she was active, you know, that was starting to see the light of day again. And again, I think that's something that didn't get a lot of uh, play in the way it probably should have. So not only, you know, did she provide a lot to, you know, the show as a as a guest host, she was like, it was riveting just to hear her tell her stories. But everything you said there about the cues and knowing... I don't know if we've ever asked you this or if we even asked Francine this. Did it? Do you think it was a harder learning curve being that it was in front of so many, quote, smart fans at the time, you know, for her to have to really be perfect? Because if she had one ounce of doubt or one missed timing, those fans were going to let her know about it. Oh, yeah, they, they have tutor up a lot, um, you know, and I, and I think rightfully so. But, it, but you know, it, it sounds crazy, but in, in a – strange inverse kind of way that that fear of, of screwing up like that in front of that audience especially made you that much more diligent if that makes sense you know you you, you wouldn't just go out and take something willy-nilly and well, let's give this a try and if it works it's great if it doesn't okay we'll try something else uh you know you you had to be on your you know your toes at all times and you know there were a few times when you know, there, uh, yours truly made a few slip-ups, and boy, they, they let me know it immediately. Um, but, you know, I think that is all part of, of what is this legend of the ECW. You know, that the fans, when I say the fifth man, the, the sixth man on the bench, you know, they, they really were because of that. And I can't imagine, like I said a second ago, I cannot imagine uh, when I was, you know, 12, 15 months in the business suddenly say, okay, go out there with Ric Flair and don't fuck up a spot. Don't miss a cue. Because if you do, you're going to catch hell in the back and those cr- that crowd's going to eat you alive. Uh, that that would have been, I think, pretty pretty stressful. And uh, she, she handled like a true champ. You know, and, and augmented, you know, both of us by ourselves, each of us by ourselves, uh, our name in the business were, were a key part of ECW, but put us together, and it's like nitro and glycerin. You know, there's uh, the, the, the some of the parts are uh, certainly way worth way more than the individual parts, and that that's nothing to detract from either of the individual parts. Uh, but together, and, and plus, there's so much history to it, right? I mean, the, the fans that so missed that style and what ECW brought to the table. Uh, Francine and the franchise were uh, an integral part of that, uh, as were so many people in that dressing room. Um, you know, but I think that's why it's had legs for so long. It wasn't the Shane Douglas show and all these other guys in the dressing room uh, or the Taz show or the Paul Heyman show. It was the ECW show. And, you know, that, like I've said it before many times on this show, uh, that dressing room, and this is no slight to any other dressing room I was ever in because I was in some <laughs> fucking impressive dressing rooms. But sitting here today, if I had to look back on my career and say, okay, you could have that dressing room, this one, this one, or that one, the ECW dressing room without even a thought uh, because they were all so hardworking and would deliver 
you know, you'd sit in the back and watch the monitor. I, I never saw anybody sitting in the dressing room in UWF, the NWA, WCW, uh, WWF, watching the monitor. Never was too cool for that. I can't watch the monitor. Shit, we're pros, man. We're going to go back here and talk about the rats we're going to get later. You know, that kind of stupid shit. Uh, ECW, we were all marked for the business. And so we were sitting in the back watching because it was such a goddamn great show. And, you know, you know, you'd walk through the curtain and, and the dressing room would pop and give you a standing ovation. You know, and then you would likewise do it when somebody else came back because they just delivered. It was a, a, a you know, the, the, it's cliche to say, but, you know, lightning in a bottle. Uh, ECW was that on steroids. Uh, I've never seen that kind of chemistry anywhere else. Uh, I would hope that it would hit someplace else because uh, for the people that were fortunate enough to be part of that, you know, I don't think you've ever heard somebody talk about ECW and ECW alumni talk about ECW and say, yeah, I was there. It was okay, but it wasn't as good as that place or this place. Uh, you know, every time I've ever heard somebody talk about ECW, uh, with all that went wrong there at the end, and there was a prodigious amount of stuff that went wrong, uh, it was an incredibly special place and an incredibly special time with an incredibly talented dressing room. So with all that said, uh, and the long-winded answer, I guess, this weekend, Francine and I go into the ring, I think, you know, is going to have a bit of a historic moment. Uh, but for us, it's going to be a hell of a lot of fun just to relive those days. So that brings us to the impromptu poll that we released earlier this afternoon. <laughs> oh. Now, usually I put the poll duration to be a few days. This one was only six hours, but the results that came out of it and the choices that we gave are pretty cool. So the poll was the in-ring return of Shane Douglas and Francine is the biggest in pro wrestling since dot, dot, dot. Okay. That's, that's the kind of mm. stature we're putting onto this reunion. So these are the choices that John and I kind of, you know, we threw back and forth at each other and this is what we settled on. Okay. So we, we try to cover okay. some different eras. So, so now, <laughs> let me, let me stop you for one second. Just so the listener at home understands. We've had no formal discussion of this. No previous. This is the first time hearing of this. First you're hearing. We did not mention it to you. We didn't say, Hey, can you go out and retweet this? We didn't say anything. Yeah. So this is a poll literally at four o'clock. I launched, and then uh, John and I have been talking about it for a few hours. Launched it at 4 o'clock. It ended here at 10, just as we're recording here in real time. And here we go. So these are so the in-ring return of Shane Douglas and Francine together is the biggest in pro wrestling since four choices. The Macho Man, Randy Savage, and Miss Elizabeth in 1991. The Hart Family, which was Brett... Owen and the British Bulldog in 1997, which culminated their many, many years of feuding against each other. Okay. The Four Horsemen reuniting at Ric Flair's retirement. And that Four Horsemen was JJ, Barry, Tully, Arn, and Rick. So that was, Mm -hmm. that was a biggie. Or the fourth choice, which I don't know, you know, depending on the fan of the era you're talking about. (laughs) Outback Jack's debut. (laughs) No, Shane, we thought maybe, um, is this the biggest return since the uh, DX return of 2018 featuring Triple H and his assistant, Shawn Michaels, sans the Shawn Michaels mullet? Uh, that's 2018, so that's this past year. So those are the four choices that 
you guys had to go up against. So look at it. We covered four different eras. We covered, you know, the golden era of the the eighties slash nineties with the Macho Man and Elizabeth. We we covered the yeah. the dawning of the Attitude Era where the Hart family and the Hearts were such a, a great heel group in ninety seven, the summer of ninety seven with Bret Hart battling the United States literally with his family by his side. Or the emotional, just absolutely the 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 bawling eyes of Ric Flair crying at the sight of the four horsemen coming together one more time. Or, you know, DX, two bald guys, 2018 in Saudi Arabia. You know, one of those. So I'm going to go to Mr. JP with the results of this poll just to show you where the return of Francine and the franchise kind of ranks in the fans' eyes of sports entertainment and professional wrestling. I'm way with well, I know. Uh, I know Shane thinks it's going to be the, uh, di- you know, the DX, Triple H, and <laughs> HBK reunion, but no, that finished dead I don't, last. I don't, care if we, I don't care if we come in third as long as we're in front of those two jackasses. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'll job to everybody else for as long as we go over on those two cunts. <laughs> They did finish dead last. Yeah. The, the the best in-ring reunion is Macho Man and Elizabeth from 1991, WrestleMania 7, they, when they had that reunion. So the fans are equating Shane and Francine to Macho Man and Elizabeth. Pretty high praise, don't you think? I would say so. I mean, I, and I would, I would agree. That's a pretty iconic moment in wrestling. Yes, 53%. 53%. So more than half of the over 320 votes were for Macho Man and Elizabeth. Pretty damn good. That is impressive. And, of course, Four Horsemen 2008, 17%. Hard Foundation, 16%. Then, like you said, last place was the DX, Triple H, and HBK from this year. And I think we all knew that was going to finish dead last. But just to say it anyway, they (laughs) finished dead last. They jobbed. (laughs) Hey. But at least he still has a smile, I think, doesn't he? He lost his hair, but but yeah, I think he found a smile someplace along the line. It's probably one of those little, those little like wax lips you eat. You know, <laughs> you know they um, they took uh, they took a, a I'm sure it was you know all rehearsed you know friendly jab at uh, at Shawn Michaels during the uh, the Hall of Fame speech of Brutus Beefcake. That uh, Beefcake you know made mention to uh, not the barbershop window being broken. By Marty Jannetty, but uh, Shawn Michaels can thank Brutus the Barber Beefcake for his new bald look. So I thought that was kind of funny <laughs> that they were bringing Beefcake into it. But I'm bummed. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But Remember. yeah. So there you go, Shane. I mean, and that's that should show you what the fans think. I mean, it's it's so cool. It's a once in a lifetime thing to have it be the first reuniting in years. So. You know, we're obviously we're going to be waiting to hear about it on the edge of our seats, and hopefully, there's a lot of fan interaction uh, this coming weekend. And we'll talk about it again before we sign off and give all the details on where you can check out where Shane and Francine are going to be this weekend. Two shows: Friday night in Ohio, and then Saturday night in Wisconsin. But we'll we'll come back to that a little bit later on. Uh, the other things that we wanted to cover this week uh, first was something that came about as we were actually recording uh, the last show that we did two weeks ago. And that was coming off WrestleCon, the very, very startling news of Vampiro and uh, revealing yeah. that he's battling the onset of Alzheimer's. And you would remark, you know, yeah. you just saw him, you thought he looked great. And, you know, we had seen pictures of him throughout WrestleCon weekend. 
Uh, but he released the video kind of giving the update, and it was uh, damn near shocking uh, that he was diagnosed with the onset of Alzheimer's. So what's kind of your reaction to this as we uh, we kind of all digested it around the same time? I, I think shocking is a perfect word. You know, if you, if you remember, I forget, because you were JP, sent it to me and said, hey, you know, that's something for you to take a look at. And I thought it was going to be like, hey, here's, you know, here's uh, Vampiro doing his workout or something. And I, I clicked and started watching and, you know, starts off, if you recall, with, uh, you know, hey, this is for this and this is for that, you know, and then he says why. And I was stunned. I was sitting there in my bed and watching and like, oh, my God. I, I mean, Vance, you know, still a very young guy. Uh, was always in great shape. Um, you know, I, 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 I up front wish him the absolute very best uh, with this. Uh, I do know, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> I do know uh, that the earlier they identify the onset, that they can do things to slow its progression. Uh, you know, and obviously his physical condition is going to be a big plus for him, but still, I, I don't want to hear that. I've reached the stage of my career. My fans will be shocked to hear this, right? Where, uh, harbored so much ill will for so long that I'm, I'm, I'm far beyond that. Except for Sean, I take a jab at him now and then, but you know, <laughs> really, I don't want to see bad happen to anybody. Uh, I don't want to see anybody's health take a dive. I don't want anybody to have to endure such a horrific thing as Alzheimer's. Um, and, hope and pray that they come up with a solution to this uh uh horrific disease you know sooner than later uh i was i, I was honestly stunned you know you get to this point and we've had how many deaths of friends and close friends that we've known uh it takes an awful lot to stun us today uh because of having gone through all that you're sort of numb to it uh but i gotta say that that, that video from vamp really you know, caught, caught, caught the wind out of me. You know, I got, I wasn't ready for it. I didn't expect it. And like I said, I had just seen him, you know, he had, you know, was making it, you know, if you remember how busy it was at WrestleCon, he, you know, it was tough to get through. Like, you know, you try to swing through to say hello to your friends and you're getting stopped here and stopped in as a crowd. The crowds were huge uh, at WrestleCon this year. Um, and, you know, we were in the middle of taking pictures and signing autographs. And I turned around and he's right there behind me gave me the hug and we talked for like three seconds and he turned around and started talking to Sam and I went back to the fans, you know, never even thought anything was wrong with him. He looked fantastic. Um, and I, and I gotta say too, just like a little sidebar here. The first time I met Vampiro was whenever I was uh, booking in XPW, uh, back in 2002, one, two, something like that, uh, a while ago. And I had never, uh, really seen his work, you know, because at that time he had done most of his work in Mexico and, and Japan. Uh, but he was tremendously professional, tremendously hardworking, uh, and tremendously easy to work with. No airs, no uh, diva bullshit. You know, you'd go to him with what you needed, and, you know, he might bounce it back and forth a little bit, but it was never, hey, I don't want to lose to that guy or that, you know, I don't want to do that. Uh, Vampiro was always, you know, just A1 professional, easy to work with. And for a booker's position, that makes your job all that much easier. I, 
Anytime I book, I've always said I love having interaction with the talent. Please come back and, and say to me, well, what about this? Or, you know, don't just, you know, say, okay, and, and go off and march off and do what I tell you to do or, you know, what I want you to do. Uh, because to me, if you're asking questions and they're intelligent questions, like Vamp always asked, that's making me think through the angle deeper. Uh, it's holding my feet to the fire to make it better. Um, and that kind of interaction, I've always said anybody that I've ever worked with me, you can talk to anybody that's ever worked with the franchise, and I'll tell you, I've always I've got a saying before we go to the ring, two heads are better than one. So, you know, I can certainly call a match. But the two of us working together can, you know, make it elevate it that much more. And, you know, my recollection of working with Vamp was very much a synergistic type of back and forth. Never a pain in the ass or diva or, you know, uh, crybaby, you know, for jobs or whatever. That that was something that you didn't hear from people in that company, uh, much like ECW. You know, it was a hard-working group of people. And... Uh, Vamp was a was a sheer joy to work with. Uh, you, you always look forward to seeing him. Always a smile on his face. Always saying hello, cutting up. There was never uh, that that WWE bullshit, you know, that you see from so many people that go through there. You know, My name's Shane Douglas, and I'm so much better than you. Like, I can't do that. <laughs> We're too close to Pittsburgh. I can't lose. Uh, that kind of ridiculousness, you know, it, it's. Uh, and that's probably the reason why I didn't ever make my my uh, my bones in in, in in WWE because it just wasn't my kind of place. Uh, I never considered myself a sport entertainer, and I never considered myself a uh, kiss ass. You know, if I was going to, I'd have done it long ago in my career, and it might have made me some money. Uh, but I didn't do it then, and I'm sure I'm not going to start now with it. But it's easy for me to sit where I sit today and and make these comparisons of guys like Vamp uh, or a, a, a woman or valet like Francine uh, because they were just beyond professional, you know, they're, they're, which makes it so much easier to work with. Uh, and I, when I say that, I don't mean like in a yes, sir, give you whatever you want type of uh, way. Uh, like I said, with Vamp, he was always – you know, the, what about this? And, you know, throwing ideas in that always made the, made whatever I had come up with that much more uh, entertaining to watch. You know, and, and let's face it, no, nobody knows Vampiro like he does. So, you know, anything I could try to give him, certainly he can add, you know, some, some uh, salt and pepper to that and make it a hell of a lot better. So, uh it was a sheer joy to work with, and if uh, booking would be the easiest job in the world if it was always working with people like Vampiro. And I, I honest to God, wish him the absolute best, uh, best fortune with, with battling this, and uh, hoping and praying, like I said a second ago, that you know science is making you know the stuff that I've, I, I, I sort of try to keep up with that because of my interest in medicine, and you know it seems like they're making some some headway. Uh, still a long way off from a cure but you know put it this way vampiro's in a much better position than ronald reagan was uh when he was diagnosed with alzheimer's AA because of his age at the time uh it was at the foundling portions of when they were beginning to even contemplate looking for a cure and you know today we have so much more of a stem cell and 
uh, you know, biometrics and, and so many other other things, uh, personalized medicine. Um, and I just read last week uh, where they've, they, they're going to be starting clinical trials on something that reduces those plaques uh, in the brain. Uh, so, you know, like I said, ho- I, I, I hope, pray for his sake that, you know, that he, he can see the benefits of that and, uh, and that he's got a lot of time ahead, with, uh, fruitful, and uh, he's got a lot to offer. He sure does. I could definitely see you and uh, Vampiro being somewhat of a uh, you know a kindred spirit when it came to the business side of things and being able to talk about things a little more rationally, you know, just because he's a very intelligent guy. He's <laughs> he's very knowledgeable about a lot of topics, and that's one thing. You go down sure a Vampiro is. rabbit hole, and man, you come back a week <laughs> later and not know where you've been, on uh, what side of Mexico you came from, or what, but. <laughs> it's uh, it's been really cool to see Vampiro have a, a big resurgence since Lucha Underground uh, launched in the United States and uh, kind of yeah. opening him up to a new uh, new fan base, you know, a new era of fan. Um, sure. you know, obviously, he was a huge, uh, huge legend in, in Mexico. And, you know, and, and I'm sure we'll get into a little bit more of this in a minute, but you said you first met him in XPW, but I believe you guys were in WCW together in the new blood era, because that was a big thing when he came over from Mexico to WCW for the first time, that was around the time I think yeah. you had also just arrived there. So that might've been the first time that you guys uh, crossed paths. If you recall you're that. Right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, I, I, I lose track of the errors. I've had so many of them in my career, but you're right. We, we met there when he was working, doing the stuff with the misfits. Right. Um, yes. And brought them in, and uh, Bill Banks was a real big fan, and uh, you know I'd, I'd never heard of the Misfits to be honest with you before that, and you know to see the connection they have with their fan base, that uh, was really cool, and you know and Vance really fit into that, but I didn't. The, the one thing I do know for certain is uh, I didn't see the real Vampiro character, uh, Ala, uh, as had been you know so iconic in Mexico until XPW. You know, because in Los Angeles there was a, you know, a lot more Hispanic uh, audience flavor to the show, uh, a lot more knowledgeable fan base there to the to the AAA and you know entire Mexican team, and uh, you know to see him go out that first time, uh, we were in a building right up the street, actually right up the street, like a couple streets up, but pretty close to the uh, LA Forum, the old LA Forum, and uh, it was pretty packed. And when he walked out that curtain, it was an immense eruption in the audience, instant recognition. And, you know, again, as a booker, you think, my God, I got some of that kind of connection to the audience. You know, we can do something with that. And, uh, you know, but again, my, like, it just jumps out of my brain every time I think of Ampus. You know, what a pleasure he was to work with. Uh just a joy, you know. You never got in, like even when you had to go give him like some some news that you didn't think he'd want to hear. You didn't sit there and have to like play with minced words or whatever. You know, he's a, just a pure pro. And you know, it's not to say that he might not come back, like I said a second ago, and say, "Hey, well, what about this or that?" Or you know, what if we threw this in or took that out? Uh, you know, every time he would give input like that, it always elevated whatever it was. It wasn't just to hey, make himself look better. I had to elevate, took the match uh, and the company up a few notches. So now, I mean, I, I know how you have your, you know, your, your vast knowledge of the, the medical side of things. So 
you don't need to go down a you know a, a large explanation but do you see a correlation with the the signs of CTE and kind of the tie into Alzheimer's here and uh, all the uh, knowledge we've absolutely. been acquiring absolutely uh, I haven't done a lot of research on it uh, uh, what I have done uh, is see that there's a definite correlation between CTE and Alzheimer's later uh, the problem is uh, the long-term data because most people with CTE uh, up till the last couple of years have been professional football players, uh, most of whom had died either from self-inflicted. Uh, you know, there were several NFL players like uh, Junior Seau, and uh, there was a guy from the, I think, the uh, uh, Eagles uh, that literally shot themselves in the chest to preserve their brains um, uh, to be studied. And uh, just, you know, a horrific thing when you hear that kind of stuff. Uh, but, you know, when you think of Alzheimer's, and this is, I assure you, a very layman's explanation, your brain, you have these uh, amyloid pr- uh, proteins that build, typically will float through in a healthy brain and not latch on. Uh, but they become real thick and gummy in an Alzheimer's patient. And so as they go through, as you can imagine, like oil going down your take a big pot of oil and water and dump it down your drain, some of that oil is going to stick on the side of the, 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 the drain and, you know, you have to scour it down. Well, you, unfortunately, we don't have a way to go inside your brain and scour out those uh, arteries. So it, over time, those slowly build up. And what they do is then they then cut off connections to that part of the brain. And that's why you typically see like a recession in the person they become, you know, uh, you know, they resort to being almost like an infant before they pass away, forget and become very forgetful. Uh, it's a really, in my book, a really horrific uh, type of disease. Imagine being uh, older and sicker and your wife or your daughters come in and you don't know them. You're terrified because you don't know these people. And, you know, you're, you're scared to begin with because you're not really familiar with your surroundings anymore. I just can't imagine the terror that would be involved in that. Uh, but again, I, you know, like I said, the study that I read last week is showing that, you know, that they, they're having some progress in figuring out how to clean out those proteins. Um, and, you know, again, Bam's young enough that I'm sure he'll see some benefit from all that research, but there's no doubt that, you know, in my mind that, CTE, concussion syndrome, and CTE certainly would have to increase the propensity for Alzheimer's later because it's all of those are injuries to the brain. And, you know, it's just your brain is physiologically very similar to other parts of your body. You know, you twist your ankle, sprain your ankle, it swells up, right? Uh, your brain does the same thing. When you have a stroke or a brain injury, your brain swells. Uh, well, think about some of these guys like, you know, a, a Terry Funk or a Mick Foley or a Sandman or a Sabu, how many chair shots they've taken and, and hard, uh, you know, each time they've done that, it's caused some amount of damage to the brain, uh, some kind of trauma to the brain. And each time they do that, it's like another bruise. And so you get a little bit of swelling, and each time it's swelling, this, this tissue gets sort of stretched. That tissue gets sort of pushed and pulled. Uh, and each time you do that, it, it limits the amount of blood flow to that portion of the brain. So uh, 
unquestionably any kind of brain injury is going to lead to an increased chance for Alzheimer's down the road. Uh, Doesn't mean you're going to get it. Doesn't mean because you got a concussion in your past, you're doomed to having Alzheimer's later. Uh, But there's, I'm sure, a correlation between the two, and uh, all the more reason why I think, uh, you know, I I don't want to say much about this because of of ongoing uh, proceedings, but I think it's unconscionable that somebody that is the head of a multi-billion dollar corporation who's personally profited far more from the wrestler's uh, hard work and killing themselves and beating themselves up in the ring. He's benefited. Vince McMahon has benefited. The McMahon family has benefited far, exponentially, millions of times over, more than any wrestler has benefited from that same work. I think it's unconscionable, and I can't imagine the NFL saying, you know what, I don't give a shit about concussion syndrome or those guys that used to play football for me. I can't imagine the NFL, the NHL, the NBA, UFC. I can't imagine any other conglomerate getting away with this. It's time now for the big businesses, the big investment firms in this country that are invested in WWE uh, to take a look and see, is this the kind of company that they really want to be invested in that turns its back on its wrestlers that have worked their ass off and put this guy in the realm of riches where he is? Uh, Or would they rather invest their money with someplace that's a little bit more progressive thinking and a little bit more concerning of, of its people? I can't imagine... Uh, Apple, uh, Google, uh, Ford, GM. I can't imagine, you know, the biggest companies in the world saying, ah, we don't give a shit that, you know, you had this really physically taxing job working for us. Uh, and you had a lot of head injuries because of that. I got personally very magnificently wealthy from it, but that doesn't matter. Just go ahead and get out of here. Um, I think John Oliver had it exactly right when he started asking questions a few weeks ago on his show. Um, and, you know, see, see what happens with it. But, you know, you, you watch Vamp in that and you see his spirit in that, in that video. And assuming all things remain as are, assuming that medicine makes no advances, uh, that, you know, that this is going to be the outcome that happens to everybody. Uh, and they're, Pretty much everybody knows somebody that's had Alzheimer's. If nothing changes, if again, if all things remaining equal, uh, Vamp has a pretty tough road ahead. And I cannot imagine somebody that has so greatly profited, and, and not just in money, in other ways, uh, fame, uh, uh, company impact. Uh, a couple of years ago, I read it was the fourth or fifth most recognizable brand on the planet. Uh, that wasn't just because of Vince McMahon. That was because of guys like Macho Man Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair and Jake the Snake Roberts and Bret Hart and Mr. Perfect and, 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 and a long list of incredible talents that went through there. Is it right? for somebody today to then say, yeah, you know what, sorry, Brett, that you're slobbered on yourself and you can't speak. I'm not saying, I'm just using Brett as an example. We'll say Joe Blow. Um, Is it fair? Is it proper? Is it acceptable for somebody to do that? Um, 
I've, you know, from what I'm seeing in the, in the wider society today, it doesn't seem to be copacetic with most other industries. Uh, I rhetorically asked the question for the fans to bounce it around. Do they consider that to be proper in the business uh, that they love so much? Or is, is our business just so completely different that we should not enjoy those same things that every, those same protections that other people in nine to five jobs or in other professional sports enjoy? Or is professional wrestling still just a redheaded stepchild that, you know, we're just uh, a bunch of knuckle-dragging Neanderthals that should be grateful we have a spotlight on us? Uh, I could say, and I'll leave it at this because I feel like I'm sort of on a soapbox right now. Uh, I have been blessed to be in this industry, and I have been astounded by the amazingly creative uh, athletes and entertainers that I've worked with. And what they bring to the table. And I, I think, I demand that they get much better. That they deserve much better. Uh, I'm not saying that anybody should be, you know, you know, get 90% of the WWE stock or anything like that. But certainly, a multi-billion dollar corporation should, should want to take care of its people. And put them where they are. Enough said about that. Now, Switching gears, switching topics, and kind of staying in that general area because, you know, that's a very interesting topic. And I feel like Viceland is getting into a lot of interesting topics. I don't know if you've seen the new documentary series by Viceland, retelling a lot of the infamous moments in wrestling history. And I feel like if you're a true fan, a good fan, you know some of this stuff, but they add in uh, a lot of more detail, a lot of other Interviews may not have heard. They kind of dig a little bit deeper, and their series is called Dark Side of the Ring. I feel like it's a really kind of um, fun look. For me, it's a lot of uh, um, not rehash, so to speak, but stuff I knew with a little bit of a twist to it, which I think is very, very cool. They've done stuff on Macho Man and Elizabeth. One thing was on the Montreal Screwjob. One was on the Bruiser Brody death. I don't know if you've seen yeah. this, heard about it, or what are your thoughts on this Dark Side of the Ring series by Viceland? Well, the first thing I'll say about it is. Uh... Full disclosure, I've not seen other than a few clips from it uh, because of, I was only made aware of it when the, the run sheet went out for the for this episode, what, a week and a half ago. Um, but since then, no, no joking, uh, I've run into 30, 40 people on the street, at the grocery store, at the gym, saying, hey, have you watched that show on Viceland uh, at the show last weekend? Same thing, fans come around, hey, have you seen this Viceland show? Uh, you know, and, and everybody, it seems to be a real buzz out there about it. And I've not heard one negative comment about it. Nobody said, hey, have you seen this? I had shit, uh, you know, whatever. They, they tell bad stories about wrestling. Um, the clips that I've seen have been very compelling. Like you said, a lot of the information we know uh, – uh, 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 the Bruiser Brody one uh, sort of surprised me with some of the information uh, that they had uh, because it was stuff I'd never heard before. I don't know if it's accurate or not. Uh, I'm guessing that these guys, are, you know, the people behind it that are producing it uh, are doing their homework. And there was, I'm, I'm trying to find it as I'm talking, you know, trying to, trying to get my brain to do two things at once when sort of walking and chewing gum sometimes is difficult anymore. But, uh, uh, somebody didn't somebody challenge something that was something that was said in one of the episodes, and the producers fired back and said, 
well, you know, we'll show you. Like, there was, for some reason, I've got a recollection of something about the producers firing back and fired back with pretty, you know, pretty, pretty acerbic uh, comment. But, you know, so I'm guessing if they're firing back like that, they know that they got their eyes dotted and their T's crossed. Uh, look, these, that's been the part to me that's always been amazing. Um, the stuff that we see in the dressing rooms and in the backstage areas of, of our business is so insane and so off the beaten path of normal that it's astounding that those stories haven't leaked out. You know, in the, in the wrestling business, right, the rumors always sort of leak out and then they sort of take on life of their own to where they become almost like an urban legend and then people say, it's a conspiracy theory, it can't be real. Um, but that was my honest, when I first went on the road uh, a couple years ago, we'll say, <laughs> uh, I remember sitting in the back and, and just looking around at dressing room and thinking like, this is fucking insane. Like, this, these guys are there snorting cocaine off the back of their hand. I'd never seen anybody snort cocaine in my life uh, at that point. Um, you know, people want needles this and, you know, rats over there doing things that, you know, that you never thought you'd see. Uh, it, it, it really was crazy, you know, and considering that, you know, the sport had gotten so big, and yet, so few of those stories would leak out. And then, of course, the, the shoot interviews came in, right, that started revealing some of it. But, again, they, even with those shoot interviews, they sort of took on life of their own. And people always started to think, well, you know, Shane Douglas is just giving his version of the story, or he's embellishing, or he's taking the, his, the bad stuff about himself out of it, whatever. Everybody has their own take on these things. Uh, this series again I'm, I'm eager to sit down and look at it but the few clips that i've seen most of the information that i saw in there well, I, I can't say i heard anything incorrect uh i've watched probably seven eight minutes of clips of the three episodes um i can't say that there was anything i heard that i knew to be incorrect but there were things that i heard that i was un, had never heard before um uh one being uh the reason that uh uh, Gonzalo said that he stabbed uh, Frank uh, was because he owed him money or something. Uh, I had never heard that. I had heard that they had a personal beef, uh, but never had heard specifics beyond that. So I'm really eager to sit down and listen, you know, watch them and, and just pay attention and see if I can find anything that I know to be incorrect. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I know that it's getting a lot of buzz because I've had, uh, 30, 40 people on the street and about town over the last week and a half uh, come up and ask me about if I've seen that or that, you know, mentioned they saw the Bruiser Brody one or the, the Montreal Screwjob one or, uh, you know, and, and they talk about it very excitedly. And it's been a hell of a long time since I've heard fans on the street in the grocery store at the gym talking anything about professional wrestling, good or bad. It's just like, a, you know, compared to what I used to hear on the street, you know, at the airport, you know, everywhere you went, so, hey, franchise kicked his ass, whatever. Uh, it, was, it was a ubiquitous conversation. Um, I haven't seen that in years and years. So to have Viceland having these, these shows out and, you know, getting some buzz behind it, I think it's good for the business. 
Um, uh, what, what was it? Louis Brandeis said, uh, uh, sunlight is the best sanitizer. I'm paraphrasing. Uh, sunlight is the best sanitizer. Uh, the one thing we know now after close to 40 years of Vince McMahon running the WWE, he ain't going to self-regulate. He ain't going to self-correct. He ain't going to take care of his guys or his women. He's got to do that only by being forced, uh, coerced into doing it or being shamed into doing it, which I don't think you can shame that man into doing anything. Um, so I say put the full blast of sunlight on this stuff. Let the fans that love this industry as much as we love it see what goes on. See what these men and women endure on a day-to-day basis, uh, physically, emotionally, uh, uh as far as the total lack of respect, you know, the, 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 the just ridiculous way that you get spoken to at times, uh, you know, the, the, those types of things need to be brought to light. Uh, and if there's a show like Viceland doing that and exposing these things, these and bringing these stories out of the shadows and, you know, giving them their time in the sunlight, that can only be good for the industry. And, and oddly enough, would long-term be good for Vince McMahon because it would clean the industry up that is now seen as, you know, as completely off the, you know, off the rails as far as treatment of its workers. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things that initially think is great for the business that anybody's talking about anything with wrestling, but it's been a long time that I've heard that, but to put these, controversial subjects under the microscope and, 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 you know, let the sunlight bleach them, you know, sanitize it, uh, to let everybody know what really goes on, uh, in these backstage areas, uh, how these incredible performers get treated in any other field, they would be multi, multi, multi millionaires in any other field, uh, any other comparable sport, you know, ask yourself, Ben Roethlisberger just signed a, an extension to his contract, pays him uh, almost double per year what he's making in his last contract. And his last contract, I think, was $19 million a year, uh, and now he's getting paid close to double that. Um, so, you know, Ben's probably in the top five, six, seven quarterbacks in the league. Ask yourself, what would a Hulk Hogan have been worth at the height of Hulkamania? Uh, there was no other Hulk in the business at that time. You know, you had your road wars. It was a hot entity. You had Ric Flair. That was really big. But it was nowhere. It was all of that was dwarfed by Hulkamania. So if Ben Roethlisberger was by far the greatest quarterback, hands down better than every other quarterback in the league by a far, far margin, what could he command in a salary? What would he command in a salary? Hogan, at the height of Hulkamania, was, there was no equal. There was nobody on par with him as far as the reaction to the, and it was a, you know, everybody knows my feelings on his, on his style, uh, but as, as a draw, you know, the magneticism that he had to the audience, it was unrivaled. Nobody had anything close to that. Uh, what could he have commanded? What should he have been able to command? Um, at that time, uh, he, if you remember, he was doing like the, the first wrestler that I ever knew that was doing like major 
endorsements, the fishing pool, that kind of thing. That year, when Hulkamania was at its peak, he made about six million. He told me, I was going off what he had said to me, I don't know if it's embellishing or true, whatever. He told me he made six million dollars that year, but 16 million in endorsements. Uh, so, you know, 22 million altogether. Uh, again, what if you if you had a quarterback that was eons better than every other quarterback in the league? Every time he stepped on the field, threw for touchdowns, threw for 500 yards a game. Uh, nobody could win against this team because of this quarterback. Because that's what Hulkamania was in our business. What could that quarterback command and what would he command in the NFL and get? Uh, what's what's uh, the uh, Seahawks guy making? $34 million a year or $40 million a year, somebody told me, I think. Uh, incredible numbers. But now, if, what if there was somebody that was 20 times better, uh, you know, 20 times more successful? You know, the, the numbers would be staggering. And, you know, uh, I, I hear certain things about salaries in the WWE today. Uh, they, they just signed $5 billion in contracts. Uh, but, by the way, as we're talking about this, it all wraps together. See how sharp I am tonight? Uh, <laughs> did you see the... Did you see the earnings report? The WWE earnings report came out, the third quarter earnings report. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen Way it, but down. I heard that it was down. 13, the, and the stock dropped immediately after. Way down. Way, and, you know, considering that they're coming right, right out of WrestleMania. Remember I said a couple weeks ago that, you know, the, the, the drop in ratings of Raw the, the night after. Uh, the, million drop, the, the million person drop, the million viewer drop. The you know what we were seeing and hearing at WrestleCade from fans around the world saying they were there for WrestleCade and were not going to WrestleMania. Uh, now we see this earnings report, and suddenly on the snap of a finger, things don't look so great in La La Land. Uh, you know now look, I'm not saying they're going to be out of business anytime soon, but all these numbers, the way they're trending, their ratings their venue attendance ship, their per capita merchandise buys, everything in those venues. Uh, now these earnings reports, the million person, the million viewer drop in the, in the viewership the night after WrestleMania, all of these things are pointing in the same direction. So I don't believe it's an aberration. I don't think it's, okay, well, hey, they're going to bounce back next week because, you know, Shawn Michaels is going to be back uh, or any, whoever. I think you're seeing a general downward trend in the WWE and you know it's uh, I, I think this would be a perfect time for Mr. McMahon to possibly start considering some uh, marketing ploys like let me start taking care of people the men and women that make me this rich um, it might, might, might be able to get some good PR off of that so give me one or two just off the top of your head if they're going to do a season two, which it's probably more than likely they will do a season two of this series, just one or two moments off the top of your head that you think they should explore. So they've done Brody. They've done the relationship of Randy Savage and Elizabeth, the Montreal screw job. Uh, what else do they do here in this first season? John, what am I missing? Um, Montreal screw job, Brody, Macho man, Elizabeth, 
um, the Von Erich story. Von Erich, that was it, yeah. And Gino Hernandez. There as well. you go. So that's what they've done. So what? Give me one or two off the top of your head. Two stories that you think that this uh, series could explore. I would think immediately the Eddie Gilbert story. Um, you know, a, a, a tragic end to a uh, an incredibly talented guy uh, on it, in every way in, in the ring uh, as Booker. Uh, you know, there were so many facets to that that I think it'd be a, a damn compelling uh, show to watch. And then I would think the uh, – I, I could leave a bunch of them, but I, the one that I think would interest me would be for somebody to dig into the ignominious end of ECW, you know, that it was rolling so hot. Uh, you know, people still talk about it to this day. And once we went to those ven- the 5,000-seat venues and up and we're selling them out and – selling $100,000 in merchandise per night, which for ECW was a huge amount of money. Uh, suddenly the checks started bouncing. And, you know, I, it wasn't like the, you know, the, the, the average fan right now. So, well, of course, it's bigger buildings, more rent, you know, more overhead. Uh, I promoted those buildings. You know, the overhead was not exponential to what, you know, ECW arena had been. Uh, it, it was a little bit more but it was certainly offset by the attendance that went into those buildings. Uh, I think it's time that somebody dug, dug into that and to see how the bankruptcy court ceded the remaining assets of the company to a claim that had already greatly enriched themselves uh, on, the, on the two video games they put out. Um, you know, they, they hadn't lost a thing. They, they bought the rights for pennies on the first uh, game and the second game Paul sold to them for slightly more and they sold record numbers of that video game that came out the, the first one when it came out I still have never been able to figure out why the bankruptcy court would cede the remaining assets of ECW to the company that got rich from ECW and not the guys that have, were owed money in the company you know it wasn't even like a percentage breakdown the claim got everything and we got shown the door. Uh, I, I would think that would be a really compelling, especially because the connection to the fans remains. Uh, it's not, you know, that the fans have forgotten about it and wouldn't want to tune in to see that story. I think every ECW fan and any wrestling fan that has heard of the legend of ECW would want to hear that. You know, we've, we've, we've had the WWE version with the rise and fall. Uh, now let's get a real version with some real people digging into it and doing some real investigative reporting and telling that story. Yeah, hey, maybe season two. So and that also ties it back to what we started talking about on the show this week, and that is the uh, the compelling reunion that will be happening this weekend between you and Francine. Francine stepping through the ropes to be in your corner for the first time, like we said, since 2005. So if you've got your camera phones ready, snap some pictures. Uh, please share them on social media. Dying to see them. I'm sure we'll be seeing some from Francine. She's always very active when she's on the road. So we'll see some cool shots uh, filtering out there amongst the interwebs. Uh, but before we get into the big pitch, we want to remind you Shane and Francine will also be coming together in Richmond, Virginia on May 18th at our show at TMPT Con 3 on uh, May 18th at the Holiday Inn in Richmond, Virginia, on Commerce Road. You can visit TMPT of Wrestling 
brownpapertickets.com for the ticket information. And I'll bring you over to Brown Paper Tickets, which is our ticket master hub for this event. And you'll be able to uh, get your tickets for this amazing uh, show down in Richmond, Virginia, which, again, keeps growing every week. We just announced tonight a couple more ECW World Champions will be coming down to Richmond to join you guys. Uh, you know them very well. They'll be with a big... Uh, <laughs> They'll be with a big guy who's uh, bringing them all in one big caravan, I assume. It's just incredible. The Sandman, Jerry Lynn, accompanied by the Big Moose uh, in attendance in uh, in Richmond, May 18th. So a nice extreme. Nice. Yeah, it's a nice little extreme uh, bullet underneath the 35th anniversary of the Midnight Express and Jim Cornette, which we also just added Baby Doll last week. So we know the history between Baby Sweet. Doll and Jim Cornette. So there's always, there's always something brewing. So please come out to TMPT Con 3 if you're in the surrounding Mid-Atlantic area. We would love to have you. But uh, outside of that, if you want to get us on social media, it's at Two Man Power Trip, at the Franchise SD, at Wrestling Pal, at Three Threat Pod. Uh, please reach out to reach out to us on Twitter. Let us know how we're doing. Send some questions in for the franchise, and let us know anything going on in your world that you want to discuss on the show, uh, maybe at a future date. But Shane, I want to hand it over to you. We got the big shows coming this weekend. It's uh, AIW Wrestling uh, Friday night in Ohio. And then Saturday, it's the Water City WrestleCon, I believe. But if you have that information in front of you, please uh, feel free to share that at this moment in time. Well, I'm digging for it right now. Uh, tomorrow night, we're going to be at St. John the Baptist Byzantine Hall for AIW uh, Wrestling. Gauntlet for the Gold 14. Uh, that is going to be at 1900 Carlton Road in Parma, Ohio. And uh, rumor has it Francine and I may be making some stops afterwards and having a maybe a cocktail or two around town that night afterwards. Uh, and the next night we're going to be in Oshkosh with uh, uh, Hornswoggle. Uh, got a big show going on up there. Uh, he does every year. Uh, a couple thousand people already uh, have bought their tickets for it. Uh, and uh, the building, I'm, I'm on the top night, I don't have it in front of me. Uh, but it's in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Uh, so I'm sure if you Google Hornswoggle, Oshkosh, Wisconsin, uh, it'll pop up. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be a, a great time. We're going to wrestle tomorrow night and then get up early Saturday and fly to uh, Wisconsin and take care of business up there and get ready for Richmond a few weeks uh, down the road. So looking forward to it. A big, uh, big month of May coming up. So we uh, look forward to hearing all about it next week, and we'll talk about it then. So safe travels to you. Safe travels to Francine. And to any of the fans that are going, please enjoy this moment in time because uh, comparing it up there with Macho Man, Randy Savage, and Elizabeth, that's pretty elite territory. Oh, yeah, as the Macho yeah. Man would say. So, Shane, why don't you take us out in only the way the franchise can, and we'll catch you next week on Episode 91 of the Triple Threat Podcast. Get ready to make waves. Parma, Ohio, the franchise, and the Queen of Extreme rumbling into town tomorrow night. Don't want to miss it. And the night after, Oshkosh, Wisconsin. So once in a lifetime. I mean, Elizabeth and and Macho Man are gone, so that means the franchise and Francine are right next in line. Don't miss it either night, because if you do, you have to get your ass franchised. And once I do that, then you're going to go pay, uh, uh, go to school with Francine, the queen of extreme. So, big episode 90 done. Behind us, 91 coming up next week. Tune in or get your ass franchised. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.